Well, our theme for a good number of weeks has been this. God is speaking. Are we listening? God is speaking. Are we listening? You know, there's a difference between hearing and listening, don't you? Uh, anybody can hear anything. But to listen is to engage it and to receive it and to be impacted by it. I'm here to ask you today, God has been speaking. Ha ha have you been listening to the degree that it has changed your life and impacted you? And one of the coolest things in the world is that we can encounter God. <laughs> and we can be impacted by this thing called His Word and we can be changed by it. Um, and, and we come together today to listen again to, the, to, the, to this book. It's called The Story. If you're new, the chronological story of God from beginning to end. A chronological history of God's people, if you would, and what God has been doing since the day of Adam and Eve's creation, and even prior to that, of course, until the day he comes again in Christ and glory and in power to rule on earth. Um, God has been speaking. Are we listening? You know, we've heard from the, the prophets, and, and uh, these, this is the section of the Old Testament, which we conclude today, by the way, in, in the story process. And these people were raised up by God, people with incredible courage and conviction and power who were to make impact among the lives, in the lives of God's people. We've heard from Elijah and we learned there that God speaks in the quiet place. Have you been listening to God speaking in the quietness since that day we studied Elijah in that cave? We, we heard about Elisha, you know, where, where God opened the eyes of a servant of Elisha to see spiritual reality in a way that he had never seen it before. To believe in it brought him peace. As God opened your eyes to see things and to really believe them in a way that brings you peace. We talked about Isaiah where he saw God holy, majestic, and powerful. Seen God that way? So much so that Isaiah came to this place of utter repentance and, 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 he, and, he, and he found forgiveness and grace. And he heard the call of God, and in the end he said, God, use me. I'll go. Anything, anywhere, I'll go. God spoke. Have we listened? Ezekiel, we learned that God is holy and righteous in his judgments. That God is good and that God is just in everything he does. Oh, thank God that he, he is a God of justice who dwells at the center of this universe. And that justice is done rather than otherwise. Haggai, you know, we have to put God first. That's what that message ultimately was. And I know Fred spoke last week, and I don't have a clue what he said, but I know out of Esther he said something good because it's an incredible book. I will listen to him, by the way, you know, online. Today, you know, what we're going to do is look at the last chapter in the story from the Old Testament. Um, we're going to look at three incredible people whom, again, God raised up to do remarkable things for him. Judah had been in exile for so long, and now they are home. And God speaks in ways that are sometimes odd and sometimes surprising, but God just keeps on speaking to his people because that's what God wants to do. Ezra, he is a priest. You know, where Zerubbabel came back and he began this rebuilding of the temple in terms of concrete structure, 
stone structure, I suppose. Ezra comes, and he's going to restore the worship of God in that place. Um, I want you to listen to 292 in the story. It's uh, Ezra 7, verse 10, but it says this, 292. One little line. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. You know what? That, what's really cool about that man? He knew what his job was. It was to study this book and then to tell God's people what the book said, what God had revealed of himself, how God had spoken through Holy Scripture. You know what got me thinking? I want to ask you a question. What do you think my job is? <laughs> what do you think my job is? I didn't expect laughter. But, uh, <laughs> that's good, you know. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but hey, you know, I'll, I'll take it. You know, I want to tell you this. My, God, my job is not to say that which makes people feel good all the time. My job is not to avoid controversy. My job is not to make myself popular in what I say. Um, my job is to speak to you what God has spoken in his word, no matter what the outcome, personally or otherwise. You look at the prophets, a lot of what they said is like, oh my goodness, <laughs> did, did you just really say that? And the answer so often is yes, this is God's word. This man studied the word of God so that he could teach it to his people. That's my job. That is my job. You know, sometimes people come to me and they say, particularly after I've said something somewhat controversial, something that, if you would, is pretty con um, contrary to what the culture might be speaking. And people come to me on occasion and say, Chris, you had real courage in order to say that. And quite frankly, my initial response whenever that's said, and it happens occasionally, is surprise, because I don't think of myself as courageous in my speaking. I literally just think it's my job. And, and my, the, the, the thing that comes to mind after ha telling people, well, that's my job to say what the Word of God says is, and I've, I've developed this as a heartfelt conviction, if I don't say what I just said, who will? If I don't tell you where the Word of God is contrary to what the culture speaks, where are you going to hear it? And the chances are really good that you might not hear the Word of God anywhere else unless you actually read it for yourself, which I hope increasingly you are doing. So yeah, it's not my job to make everybody feel great all the time. I want you to be encouraged by the gospel, of course, but there are times when I just have to say some of those things that are challenging and even difficult because it's my job to communicate to you what this book says, just as Ezra did. You know, <clears throat> second thing in terms of my job, and I love this even more, my job is to get you to know and to love the Word of God to know and to love the Word of God. My job is to get you to a place only by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. I can't do this, but to get you to the place where you are hungry for the Word of God. Jesus said this, man, woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I want you to really think about that a little while. You know? We will not live by bread alone, by that which we eat physically, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, are you hearing the word of God? Are you listening? Are you consuming it like bread? Are you hungry for it? You know, I want you to think about this in, in terms of, think of it as food. If you ate one meal a week, <clears throat> what would that produce in you? One meal a week. 
It would, it would produce in you a weakness, an ultimate sickness, and if you persisted, probably death. Um, apply that to the spiritual life as Jesus was trying to do. If you consume one 30 or 40 minute sermon a week, what would that produce in you spiritually? I want to tell you here and now that would produce weakness in you spiritually. That would produce a bunch of malnourished Jesus followers. People who weren't capable of standing up and being powerful in, in the face of opposition. You know? You know, think about this. Do you ever look at some people and say, man, how on earth do they have the faith they have? Versus my faith. How, how is it that people get answered prayer in dramatic ways and I don't? How is it that others can somehow overcome the power of temptation and sin in their lives, but I can't get there? Could it be that you are weak in faith? because you're malnourished? You see, Jesus is making a point here. We desperately need to hear, to listen to, to feed on the Word of God. And if, if you're just intending to do that as a believer only on a Sunday morning, you're going to end up weak as a follower of Jesus and incapable of doing what He calls you to do. Capable, incapable of taking hold the life that Jesus calls us into. And I'm going to say it again, my friends, not only on a Sunday morning should you be fed from the Word of God, we need to learn to feed ourselves. Because in that place, we will thrive spiritually. And as we individually thrive, this church will be a powerful force in the hand of God to bring the kingdom of God into this world. Now, what do you want to be, a weak Christian or a powerful one? What do we want to be, a weak church without influence or a powerful church? And I mean by that, through the love and the grace of Jesus and the message that he brings and the life that he brings, we will be a transforming force in this world, whether it be in Nicaragua or in Woodstock or in Intercape or wherever we may be. You know, we make, as a result, the idea of feasting on the Word of God an easy thing. Small groups, I mentioned them earlier. Are you part of one? You know, we get together, as I said, to build relationships and to have fun and to do life together, but at the heart of a small group is the Word of God and us studying it together so that we can be strong and powerful in Him. We have Right Now Media. You can sign up today at the, at the welcome desk if you want. It's an incredible resource. I wish literally every single person in the church was using that particularly. Let me say this, because I feel led to say it, that every parent or couple who was parenting children would use that resource to lead their children into a relationship with Jesus. You know, we, we have not only small groups and right now media, we've got a library filled with great books that take us deeper. I've been away, and I, I, I've, I'm halfway through a book by a man called Dallas Willard. You know Dallas Willard? Boy, what an author. He goes deep into the Word of God. And it's challenging, and, and it's profound, and it's beautiful. And it's influence. You know, we have the Bible on our, uh, our, our app. You don't even have to download it, the U version. You don't have to download it. Just go on our app, and there it is. It's not hard to read the Bible every day. It's just right there. And so on it goes. Here's my question for you. Not only are you hungry, hungry for the Word of God, do you love the Word of God? Answer the question. Do you love it? Is it precious to you? Because it is the means through which God speaks into your life. 
I didn't say a means, I said the means. We can encounter God in nature and we can encounter God in various ways, but this is the means whereby God speaks into our lives as individuals and our life as a congregation. He has so designed it that way. We have got to feast on this word. We've got to be hungry for it. We've got to eat it like Jeremiah said in chapter 7. I eat the word of God. Our spiritual lives depend upon it. And I pray, I pray to God that that's happening. Let's carry on with, with this incredible man, Ezra. <clears throat> he, it was his job. It was his focus. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was his passion. Let's go to page 300 in the story. Or Nehemiah chapter 8, actually. Um, and I want you to hear this. What I'm about to read you had not happened with the people of God for 140 years. These people came together to hear the word of God and they connected with it. They honored the word and they engaged the word even to the point of tears coming to their eyes. <clears throat> Small groups started to form under the direction of various priests and they heard from God in a powerful way. Listen to this. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for, for Israel. Who told whom to read the word of God? They told the priest, please read this thing to us. We need it in our lives. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, all who were, who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. All the people listened attentive, attentively to the book of the law, scripture in that day. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. They ever stood up because of the word of God? Because of its presence? Because it was being spoken? In the old Presbyterian traditions, the word of God is brought in and the people rise because they honor the word of God. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, this wasn't just a book. This was the voice of God. This was the Spirit of God with them, present to them, speaking into their lives. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, uh, Jemin, I, boy, I should, uh, Akab, I should practice this ahead of time, I realize, and I, some reason I don't, but I'm going to skip all of the rest of those names. <laughs> Instructed the people of the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving them, mess giving them meaning so that the people understood what was being read. You gotta understand it. You can't just read it and know everything that it means. It needs application, it needs understanding. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, all this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Have you ever wept? As God's word was read. I think they were realizing how far they had fallen, how far away from God's will they had, they had gone. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Ah, what a, what a line. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Day set aside for God. Then all the people went away to eat and drink to send um, portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had, be, had been made known to them. Joy, joy, 
because they understood what God had for them. My goodness, what an experience, what a profound reality that these people entered into. Um, you see, they, they were hungry for the word. They were moved by the word, even to the point of tears. And they were ready to listen and to, and, and to engage it and be transformed by it. I want to go ahead. This is what happens uh, as the passage goes on. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns in Jerusalem, go into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, uh, from the myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written, the Feast of the Tabernacles. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and, and the one uh, by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile brought temporary shelters and lived in them, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. What's going on here? And their joy was very great. Here's what was going on. Not only did they read the word of God, they did what it said to do. Um, they, they, they entered into this, this experience that God had called them to, a time of remembering what it had been like as they lived in shelters, as they moved from one place to the other. And they were reminded of that experience. They heard and obeyed the word of God. And as they heard and as they obeyed the word of God, they aligned their lives with what God had spoken. To do this, my friends, we've got to believe that it is the word of God. We have got to know that God has spoken and that his way is best. But once we hear, it's not enough. We've got to then obey what God has spoken to us. You know, you get into the New Testament and, you know, there are all kinds of things we're told to do, like don't gossip. Have you ever been reading the, the, the New Testament and you come across that passage and it says don't gossip and all of a sudden you think, oh my goodness, I do that. And you think all of a sudden, I can't do that anymore. And you go about your life, but because gossip has become a habit in your life, you do it again and in the midst of it, the Spirit of God says, Chris, it's time to stop. And you align your life with the word that God has spoken into your heart. My friends, this is our calling. <laughs> this, this, is, this is what we're called to. And I want to give reference again to the power of the culture and to controversial issues. We've got to come to a point where we're, if we're going to align our lives with the word of God and literally obey what it says to do, where we recognize that God knows best, that he does not think like human beings think but that we have to believe that what he says in his word is right and is good, so much so that we will do it and live it. See, these people began to live a life that God had called them to, a life built upon the word of God. And you know the next question that's coming, right? And it's very simply, is, is this us? Is that you? Not only are we hungry and not only we are listening, are we obeying, are we aligning our life based on what God speaks? Second 
man we're going to look at, and he's been mentioned already, is Nehemiah. He was the governor of the land. He had come back with the authority of the king, and he had come back from exile with the resources provided by the king. It's an incredible story if you read the book of Nehemiah. But his job is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem essentially had been flattened um, 70 years prior, and it was in disarray. And his job was to build these walls so the people of God would be safe, but more importantly, so that the glory of God would be reestablished in this place. No longer would they be living with the shame of defeat and of destruction. Something new was emerging, and God had a plan for these people. Page 296, Nehemiah 4, verse 1. This is what happened as they went forward. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? They were disgraced people. They had no strength about them. Will they restore, restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life? from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their, their walls of stone. Hear us, our God, the people said, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own head. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. <laughs> what is this? What they're beginning to experience, or what they are experiencing as they are rebuilding the wall is opposition as they seek to do what God has called them to do. Page 298. This is the outcome. From that day on, half of the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officials posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried material did their work with um, one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Yeah. They, they persisted in their work for God literally in the face of opposition which was profound and real so much so that the builders had to carry swords as they built and half of the builders have to, had to give up building in order to protect those who were carrying on the work. They were called by God to do something. But here's the message. Doing God's will is hard. Ever thought, thought of things that way? Doing God's will in his word, having heard his word, seeking to obey it, seeking to align our lives with what God has called us to is not an easy thing. And if you're not sure, I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about the apostle Paul who was flogged 39 times. You know why he didn't flog him the, the 40th time? Because it was believed in that day if it, that if a man or a woman was flogged 40 times, they would die they were bringing him this close to death intentionally. If you don't believe that doing the will of God is hard, think about him after the shipwreck and all of his imprisonments and so forth. Here's the point, my friends. When we enter into a life in Christ in the ways that I'm describing, when we read the word of God and align our lives with it, it is not an easy thing. It is a great thing. It is a joy-filled thing. It is an adventure like nothing else. But it is hard. Think of 
godly people in your life, the godly mature ones that you know. And I hope you all know some really godly people. Generally, they're a bit older. They have been transformed by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, taking that Word and bringing it into their lives. Think of someone who is like that. And I will tell you, and I will guarantee this, that the only way they have gotten to that place is through struggle and heartache and pain in which they experience the presence and the powerful Word of God speaking into their heart like at no other time in their life. God allows it in order to transform people. Now, ask yourself this question. What is your life like? And more importantly, what is it that you aim for in life? I think a lot of people, and I can fall into this incredibly easily, aim for a life of ease and of comfort and of convenience. <laughs> we're, we're told to live that way. We're, we're provided with all the means necessary to live a life of ease and of comfort and of convenience. But I want to tell you, my friends, Jesus said, and I want you to say the last word of this phrase with me if you know it. Jesus said to his, uh, his disciples, in this world you will know trouble, travail. In this world you will struggle. In this world you will hurt for me if you listen to the word of God, align yourself with it, seek to use your life to bring the kingdom of God into this world because you will face an opposition that is real and is powerful both spiritually and otherwise. My friends, we've got to get to that place where we are really willing not only to align ourselves with the Word of God through obedience to what God has spoken, but to deal with the life that comes, but in the midst, midst of that life encounter the reality and the power of God, a God who will enable us, a God who will empower us. Last character we're going to look at in, in this Old Testament journey is a man called Malachi, and he wrote the last book of the Old Testament. Um, I hope, by the way, that as these were mentioned, you go hold back and you study Nehemiah and you study Ezra, the books of, and you study the book of Malachi. This is top-level stuff. It's, it's, it's brief, and it's, but it's, it's focused. The message of Malachi was basically this. God speaking, give me your best, not your worst. Give me your best not your worst. Um, sometimes it's surprising what he says. Sometimes it's even shocking what he says. But I want to tell you, my friends, sometimes God's people need to be shaken into reality. Sometimes we need to be waken up, and that's what the prophets do in, in striking, dramatic ways because we often find ourselves, our lives in places where we don't align with the Word of God, and we don't know that. And we need to hear from God. And the question then out of the book of Malachi becomes, do we give God our best or do we give God whatever is left over? Challenging stuff, right? These prophets, man, gutsy, powerful people who just spoke what God would have them speak. Let me bring some application. Do we give God our best or what's left over in terms of finances? Um, do we give God off the top? Do we, do we give God his tithe first and then pay our bills? Do we pay all our bills and then give God the remainder that is left? Just a little bit because that's what's left ever after everything else is taken, taken care of, the first fruits principle. How about worship? Do we give God our best in worship? Um, are we engaged in a heartfelt way with every single component of this thing we do on a Sunday morning? 
I just heard from Brennan, our youth pastor, uh, a week and a half ago, something that dismayed me uh, beyond what I knew because it used to be, it was written uh, pretty clearly that committed followers of Jesus in North America considered full-time attendance as two of four on a Sunday, uh, in a month, on a Sunday morning of worship. You know what it is now? Uh, three of eight. It's getting worse. <laughs> God calls his people into his presence that they might encounter them, they might hear his word, they might be transformed by his word, that they might know how to align themselves with the will of God and the word of God, that they might be empowered to do the hard things that they need to do for Jesus. And it's clearly taught both in the Jewish people and in the early church and, you know, it's explicitly taught in Scripture that we're not to um, avoid meeting together as is the habit of some, it is written. But when we do gather together, when we make this our priority, when we say, God, I will honor you by being there and worshiping you with all of my heart, do we worship him with all of our heart? You know, when we sing songs, are you engaging God? Are you passionate in the singing? I wrote down today, and I want to ask you this question. We sang, there's no place I would rather be let me begin by asking, was that even true when you sang it? Or was it a lie? I want more of you, God. I hope with all of your hearts you sang those phrases with absolute sincerity in the presence of the living God. There is no place that I would rather be than being here with you right now. And I want more of you. I am hungry for more of you. I am not satisfied with what you have given me of a knowledge of you and of life in Jesus. I want more of God. When you pray, what's going on in your heart? Are you praying with passion? Or like me when I was a little younger, where I would literally look forward to the day because of what happened on Saturday night, and I'm, going, I'm trying to keep my eyes open. Oh, we can pray now. <laughs> oh, you all laugh. You know what I'm talking about. Are we praying with passion in the presence of our God when we prayed for those Nicaraguan people? Fervently, as Scripture says. Um... You see, we've got to come into the presence of God and there listen to what he speaks so that we might obey it, passionately listening. Or are we doing everything that we're talking about here in a half-hearted way, just waiting for this thing to end so that I can do what I really want to do? See, there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference. When we serve, are we serving with passion? And has it become our life? Are we doing as little as we can maybe get away with, as little as possible, something that's easy, not something that's hard? You know, sometimes I've counseled staff, not recently, but when they're recruiting people, to not say, listen, let, come and do this. It's, it's an easy thing that, that I'm asking you to do. It's not hard. It's, it's simple. You know what kind of commitment you get out of people when you ask them to do something easy? You get a low commitment. But if you come along to them and say, listen, this is a significant ministry and we are impacting the lives of children or of, or of teenagers or of adults, whatever the case might be, and God needs people who are passionately committed to this and it won't be easy and it's going to take a lot of your time and of attention and of prayer and of energy, you know what kind of commitment you get from such people who say, yes, you get a high commitment. And the kingdom of God takes off in terms of reality. See, my friends, we're called to be people who give God our best, 
not our worst, to give God our best, not what's left over in life. Let me read to you page 302, carrying on with the challenges of Malachi. It says this, another thing, another thing uh, you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accept them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It's because the Lord is witness before you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. You know what, my friends? One of the things that God calls us to in giving him our best is faithfulness to our spouses. Um, you know, when we stand in the presence of God and take vows to one another, uh, soon-to-be husband and wife, you're not only vowing faithfulness to each other, you're vowing to God that you will be faithful to that marriage partner. And here's what I want to say this morning about this. Guys, be faithful to your wives, both physically and emotionally. Um, please don't tell me that it's okay to have a special relationship with another woman as long as nothing happens physically, because that is Biblical nonsense. Jesus said that faithfulness is a matter of the heart as he talked in the, in, in the story. He says that we can commit adultery in our hearts as well as with our bodies. To Jesus, these things were equal. And wives, be committed wholly to the husband that you vowed yourself to, both physically and emotionally. Couldn't that be hard to do? Anybody who's been married for any length of time will tell you probably, yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes marriage isn't all that much fun. Right? Now you can laugh. Sometimes marriage is really hard. And it's not an easy thing to stay faithful in that context to your wife or to your husband. But I want to tell you, my friends, we are called to do the hard thing. And God will inspire us and he will enable us by his Holy Spirit toward faithfulness if we will live in relationship with him. Lastly, let me go to page 303 and read to you from Malachi again, chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are, you, how are we robbing you? God's response, in tithes and offerings, and then these powerful words, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing that there will not be enough room, and not be room enough to store it. You know, we're given the choice of curse or blessing from the hand of God. What do you want? Um... Here's the reality. God speaks, and what he says in, this, in and through this man Malachi is that everything is mine. Everything. And then he says, don't withhold from me what is mine, because to do so is to rob God. 
Let me put this in the vernacular. Anybody here ripping God off? You know, the reality is that uh, the large majority of Christians in North America regularly, and I mean by that on a weekly basis, are ripping God off. It's just that simple. Um, Malachi pulls no punches here. He speaks to the, the people the things that God has spoken to him. This is not his word. This is God's word. And I live under that authority as I hope you do. And when I speak this thing, this isn't my word. This is God's word to you. And we're called, even though it might not be easy, to align ourselves with the word of God. Here's my conclusion this morning. God is speaking. Are we listening? Have we yielded our lives to Christ? Here's how you'll know. Number one, have you heard today God speaking into your life? In all that I have read from the Word of God and everything that I have spoken based upon it, have you had that moment in time, at least one moment in time, where you have heard God say, this one is for you? Number two, what will you do with what God has said? Will you align your life with his word? Will you live under the authority of the word of God? So God is here, and God reveals and inspires this book, and from the book comes the teaching. We have to live under the authority that God has spoken into his word. Even though it might be hard. And number three, will you keep on seeking God's word um, knowing that one meal a week isn't enough according to Jesus. See, we can align our lives in such a way that God's will is done in our lives. You get this? The upper story we've talked about from the beginning of this series, from Genesis to Revelation, God has a purpose and God is telling his story and God will bring that story to conclu its conclusion when Jesus Christ returns in glory and in power to this world. But in the meantime, what's our lower story? That's what we've been about, focused so much on in these sermons, in these weeks. My friends, we can align our lower story with his upper story. We can get caught up in it and we can be used in a powerful way to accomplish his purposes. It's what we call living the story. Well, it's what we call living the story today. <laughs> or viving the story. I don't know what you can see. We can live the story. We can live God's story. We can be the primary means whereby the story is unfolded in this world. And you know, as we do this, I want to I close this way because it's so incredible. As we do this, I want you to think about the end of the Old Testament and compare it to the beginning of the Old Testament. We can start to live closer and closer and closer to what Adam and Eve experienced before sin came into their lives. We, we can see ourselves walking with God and experiencing God in greater intimacy. We can see sin fall away from our lives in increasing measure so that it, it doesn't have its power over us. We can see all the harm that it brings into our lives and into the lives of others just begin to recede and back away. 
We can see God show up in our lives in powerful and beautiful and wonderful ways and work through our lives in ways that we couldn't imagine. We can encounter the joy of walking with God in the garden. And listen to me, listen to me. We can discover how life is supposed to be lived. That thing, whether we know it or not, which, was, which is the deepest longing of our hearts. My friends, very simply, you know how this happens? You know how we get to that place? We read the Word of God. We listen to it. We receive it. We align ourselves with the Word of God because we know God is speaking, and it is for me simply to listen in a way that transforms my life. See, what I'm saying to you, we have an incredible opportunity, incredible opportunity to discover the life that Jesus came and died that we might know. So I want to finish this little subset of sermons by asking the question very simply, God is speaking. Are we listening? Let's pray. God, the remarkable truth is that you love us. Oh, Lord, that we could take that truth and let it permeate our beings. We could take that truth and put it at the center of this community of, of people who know and, 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 and trust Christ. And Lord, your longing is for us to know life like Adam and Eve knew it when they walked in the garden with you. Your longing is that we would be freed from the power of sin and its destructive influence. Your longing is that we would know joy in you. And we would discover what we were created to know. And to that end, Lord, you have spoken in your word and you continue to speak through it. And you call people to listen and to obey and to align their lives themselves with what you have made clear to us. God, how we pray today for each other, how I pray for these people, and God, for myself, that you would, you would allow us the wisdom, the understanding to just become people of the word, people who love this book, people who find it precious, people who live in it, because we know that that's where we encounter you. God, work by your Holy Spirit to make us hungry for the word. Work by your Holy Spirit, we pray, to allow us to live under the authority of the word and its incredible truth and wisdom. Make us people by the work of your spirit, Lord, who align ourselves with what you have revealed, trusting you, believing that you have spoken so that we might be everything you call us to, so that we might know the joy of Adam and Eve as they walked in the garden with their God. Lord, let this book be transformative. Let it change us as we simply follow in faith and obedience um, in our journey with Christ. So God, come. We invite you to do your work among us in this way. To accomplish what you wish to accomplish through your book. 
we might become people like Jesus, made new in him, alive in him, in love with him and in love with you, passionate for the things of God. Thank you for speaking today, Lord. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for loving us. This we pray in Jesus' name.